0: and effective is a teaching inviting all to come and see directly is a teaching that is leading to the good the true the beautiful extinguishing the fire of afflictions it is a teaching for all sensible people to realize
1: for themselves. Practicing the teachings,
0: the noble community in which I take refuge, a community that goes in the direction of goodness, in the direction of truth, in the direction of beauty, in the direction of righteousness. It is a community that is composed of four pairs and eight kinds of holy people. Is a community that is worthy of offering, worthy of great respect, worthy of admiration, worthy of salutation. Is a community standing upon the highest hills of merit. In all. Practice that remains unbroken, that remains harmonious, that remains flawless, that remains refined. It is a wonderful practice that has the capacity to prevent wrongdoing and to prevent danger. It's a wonderful practice that has the capacity to protect self and others and to reveal beauty. It's a wonderful practice that is leading to concentration
2: Breathing in, I enjoy my in breath. Breathing out, I enjoy my out breath. My in breath is enjoyable. I do enjoy my in breath. I enjoy breathing in. I do enjoy my out-breath. When I breathe out, I enjoy breathing out.
1: And
2: when I breathe in, I feel alive. I feel life in me and around me. It's wonderful to feel, to know, and to feel that you are alive. And when I breathe out, I smile to life. In me and around me. It's a miracle that you are alive. And you should enjoy that. And when you breathe in mindfully, you enjoy your in-breath, You wake up to the fact that you are alive. To be alive is the greatest of all miracles. And breathing out, I am so happy. I smile to life in me and around me. I am in touch with life. I enjoy being alive. Good morning, my dear friends. Today is August the 14th, in the year 2007, we are in Stonehill College, in our mindfulness, uh, fearlessness, and togetherness retreat. I'd like to invite all of you to sit beautifully, like a Buddha. Um, There is a position, is a sitting position, that is called uh, Lotus Position lotus position or half lotus position is very stable, very solid, and this is the position. It is one of the most beautiful positions of the human body. And when you sit like this, you feel solid, you feel stable. And the stability, the solidity of your body may help your mind to be more stable, to be more solid, because the body has an influence on the mind, and the mind on the body. And I enjoy this uh, posture, this way of sitting. I can sit for one hour, sometimes two hours. But uh, everyone else can enjoy sitting like this for 10 minutes and 15 minutes. And uh, you feel solid. Even if someone comes and push you like this, you don't fall. <laughs> you sit like a mountain. You are a mountain. I'm breathing in, I see myself as a mountain. Breathing out, I feel solid. So the solidity of the body has something to do with the solidity of uh, the mind. The stability of the body has something to do with the stability of the mind. The Buddha is described as sitting on a lotus flower. How can someone sit on a lotus flower? But when you go to a temple, a Buddhist temple, you always see Buddha sitting on a lotus flower. What does it mean? It means that when the Buddha sits, he feels light, he feels peaceful, he feels beautiful, like a a lotus flower. And sitting like that is a pleasure. And if you know how to sit, no. whatever you sit on, on the grass or a bench or on the beach, and you feel that you are sitting on a lotus flower, that is a portable lotus flower, you can bring anywhere uh, with you, and then every time you sit down, uh, you are on a lotus. And this is possible. When I go to the airport, I bring my lotus and I sit in at the airport in a lotus position. I enjoy sitting in a lotus. When I go to the training station, I also bring along my portable lotus and I sit on that. And one day I went to a prison in Maryland a House of Correction. Hmm, I had to go through many doors. They open a door, we got into it, and they close the door behind me. And they open the next door, and we go to that door, and they close that door behind us, and, and they open the door, and seven times like that. And uh, that morning, I sat. With uh, a few hundreds of uh, in uh, inmates of the of this prison, and we learn to sit like a Buddha on a lettuce flower. I gave a dhamma talk, and we try to sit together with uh, peace, with relaxation. Uh, we learn how to. Mm, how to keep our um, back upright, release all tension, and we learn how to smile and not to release the tension on our face. And uh, it was very successful. And uh, after that, uh, we had a um, mindful silent meal together. All the people in the prison, they they had their meal. And um, we gave them some instructions as how to enjoy a mindful meal. And we we, we brought our own uh, lunch. But uh, through the gate, they searched in order to see whether there is something in our lunch. Fortunately, we we, um, we succeeded in bringing in a tape recorder. In the beginning, they did not allow it, so we tried to intervene, and finally they allowed us uh, to bring in a tiny tape recorder. And that is why we were able to uh, tape the talk and the discussion. And later on, it became a little book, uh, with the title, Be Free Where You Are. And we have been sending that uh, Lama talk to many prisons in many countries. Because uh, even in prison, you can sit on a lotus flower. You can be free feel you're free. And you take the opportunity to be in prison in order to have a retreat, a long retreat. So, uh, we describe the Buddha as a scounter, an artist. We draw the Buddha sitting on a lotus flower. It means the Buddha is sitting peacefully, happily, very fresh, very relaxed. And if you consider to be a friend of the Buddha, a brother or a sister of the Buddha, it's nice to learn how to sit like him. I want you to know that the Buddha is not a god. The Buddha is a human being, like all of us. He had suffered a lot as a young man. And because of his uh, practice, he was able to overcome, transform his uh, fear, his anger, his pain, and became a happy person, a free person, an enlightened person, awakened person. And Buddha means someone who is awake, who is enlightened. Buddha is not the name of a person. Buddha is like a title. If you are have enough peace and understanding and compassion and joy, you are a Buddha. And you can be a very young Buddha, too. Many of us uh, do not have the capacity of sitting like a Buddha. We cannot sit uh, quietly, peacefully. We don't enjoy sitting. Because there is something like uh, an energy pushing us to stand up, to do this and to do that. We are not sitting on a lotus flower. We are sitting on a heap of uh, burning charcoal. (laughs) And that is why it's very important to learn how to sit like a Buddha. And it is possible for us to, to sit like a Buddha, beautifully, peacefully, joyfully. The day um, Mr. Nelson Mandela came to Paris, and in order to meet with uh, the President of France, uh, Mr. Francois Mitterrand, the press asked him this question Mr. President of South Africa, what do you like to do the most? And he said, What I like to do the most is to sit down without doing nothing without anything. Since I was released from prison I have been so busy I did not have time to sit down. So what I wanted the most wants the most is sit down. And it was reported in the press, written press. And uh, I was thinking I was wondering if we gave him one One week, free, would he be able to sit happily or not? Because sitting, like a Buddha, needs some kind of training. If you are not used to that way of sitting, you cannot sit and enjoy sitting. Sit there, on a lotus flower, feeling joy, peace, harmony, freedom, doing nothing is wonderful. But we need some training in order to do it. Because all of us have that kind of energy in us, pushing us to stand up, to do something. We are already used to be doing something. We cannot do nothing. We are not used to doing nothing. That is uh, one uh, negative negative um future of our civilization are so busy. And you don't peace we don't feel peace if you are not uh, doing something. To be a Buddha is to allow uh, freshness, solidity and peace to manifest in us. There are times when we are very close to being a Buddha. We are so relaxed. We are so peaceful. We are so uh, free. We are free from anger. From fear. We are so loving. We are so fresh. Yeah, almost a Buddha. And uh, when you love someone, the best thing you can offer her or him is your Buddhahood. You sit beautiful like this you are free, you are happy, you are loving, you are fresh, and you say, darling, I'm here for you. Do you want a little Buddha? I am that little Buddha. And your mom will love it. Your dad will love it. To have a little Buddha as a present is the best thing that she can get you can let it. And to be a Buddha, you can do it. You sit down peacefully, happily, you practice breathing, you feel peace, joy, freshness, solidity, freedom, and you look into the eyes of your daddy and say, Daddy, you know something? I am a Buddha. You like to have me? That is the best present you can make to your daddy, to your to your mommy. And the practice of mindfulness can help you to be relaxed, peaceful, free. The quality of your being, the quality of your presence. I always tell the young people that The best kind of uh, present that you can make to your beloved one is your beautiful presence. You are peaceful, you are happy, you are fresh, you are smiling. And that is the best gift you can make to our beloved one. And the practice of mindful breathing, mindful uh, uh, walking, uh, mindful sitting can help improve the quality of your presence. To love means to be there for your beloved one. If you are not there, how can you love? This is so simple. The basic condition of love is to be there and offer your presence to your beloved one. And you can make your presence uh, beautiful, of high quality. And this can be done with some practice. So after having practice uh, two or three minutes of walking meditation, sitting, smiling, relaxing, you come to him or to her, you look into his eyes and say, Darling, I'm here for you. This is my present to you. That's the language of love. And the other person will be very happy. In Buddhism we speak of, uh, we practice uh, sometime uh, a mantra. A mantra is kind of formula that has the power to transform the situation, bringing a lot of happiness and transformation. There are people who practice uh, a mantra in Sanskrit, in Tibetan, But you can very well practice a mantra in English. And darling, I'm here for you, is a mantra. If you are truly mindful, if you are truly concentrated, if you are fresh, if you are smiling, and that mantra will change the situation, will make you very happy and make the other person very happy. Darling, I'm here for you, is a mantra that you can practice in English. When I was in China several years ago, I also offered a mantra to the children in China. And all of them uh, learned to write it down in Chinese. Darling, I'm here for you. Because to love is to offer your fresh, Presence to him or to her, the person you love. And when you are truly there, body and mind united, truly present, truly alive, you notice that something else will be there also, the world and your beloved one. So my definition, my first definition of love is Being there. My second definition of love is recognize the presence of your beloved one. In order to recognize him or her, you have to be there first. So the first mantra is the first step. You have to be there. To be truly there, fully present, fully alive, fresh, smiling. And when you are there, you are in a position to recognize his or her presence. You say, darling, I know you are there, and I'm very happy. To love is to acknowledge, recognize the presence of your beloved one. If you don't feel that you are recognized as existing by him or by her, you don't have the feeling that you are loved. To be loved means to be recognized as being there. So the second mantra is, Darling, I know you are
1: there,
2: very precious to me. That is why I am so happy. And with that mantra, you can make him or her happy right away. You embrace him or her with the energy of your mindfulness. Because it is the energy of mindfulness that you can make yourself available to him, to her. And again, with the energy of mindfulness, you can recognize his or her presence. So meditation is something that can we do in every moment of our daily life. You don't need to go to a meditation room, uh, hall, to the meditation hall in order to practice. Looking at him, looking at her, recognizing his precious presence, her precious presence, smile. That is the practice of meditation. Breathing in, feeling alive. Releasing the tension, smile, that is meditation. And that practice helps you to have something very precious to offer to your beloved one. That practice helps you to be truly there in order to recognize his or her presence. And I think uh, no matter how young you are, you can practice these two mantras. No matter how old you are, you can still practice these two mantras. We are so busy, we don't have the time to be there for our beloved one. Maybe we are making a lot of money, but uh, without uh, love, happiness is not possible. Suppose I have a million dollars. Many of us believe that we have, uh, if we have a million dollars, we start to be happy. When I look deeply, I see that if I have a million dollars, I'll be in trouble. (laughs) You know, as a monk, I don't have a bank account. (laughs) I don't need a bank account. I don't need... uh, I don't need that. And that is why I feel so free, <laughs> so light. <laughs> now, suppose you give me one million dollars. I will get into trouble. Because I start to think, how can I keep this? And people who approach me uh, suggesting that I um, will do this and do that with that money that would make me... Uh, lose a lot of energy. So it's better not for me to have one million dollars. But I have, even I don't have that uh, money, but I have other things that can make me happy. I can make a step, and that step brings me solidity and freedom. And I touch the wonders of life, as my that make me happy. I can look at my friend, my disciple, looking into his eyes and say, Dear friend, I know you are there with me. I am very happy. So I have mindfulness. And mindfulness can create love and care and compassion. And our happiness depends very much on love, on care, on compassion, on understanding. Mindfulness brings us a lot of happiness. The Buddha is someone who has uh, a lot of that energy, mindfulness. And also mindfulness brings about concentration and insight. And with that insight, the Buddha is free. When we have uh, enough insight, we are not caught in many difficult situations anymore. We can get out of difficult situations very easily. And again, that insight is brought about by mindfulness and concentration. So we come to a retreat in order to learn together how to breathe mindfully, how to sit mindfully, how to eat mindfully, how to brush our teeth mindfully, And then, with mindfulness, we can create love, understanding, freedom, insight. And uh, that is uh, the gift of the Buddha. Buddha Shakyamuni has practiced, has transformed himself, has got the freedom, the insight, and he tried to pass on what he has obtained to us, to many generations of friends, of children. I still have two other mantras to transmit to you, but maybe tomorrow. Thank you. So, when you hear the small bell, please stand up and bow to the sangha and go out and continue the practice. My dear friends, uh, yesterday, we were trying to learn just one thing. If we are able to release the tension in our body, and in our uh, feelings, and then the the healing will begin to take place. And uh, the teaching of the Buddha Uh, has much to do with how to release the tension in our body, and in our feelings and emotions. Uh, Elements of healing are available right away. Every step you take that has the capacity to help you release the tension, every in-breath that you take that has the capacity to release your tension, uh, is an element of healing. The healing can practice uh, every moment with your practice of breathing, walking, smiling. Because uh, When we allow our body to relax, our body begins to have the capacity of healing itself. If the healing doesn't come because we prohibit our body from doing so, we don't allow it to relax. There are many ways of uh, releasing the tension in the body. And yesterday, Sister Chen Kong uh, uh, offered a session of uh, deep relaxation. In a sutra called the, uh, um, the contemplation of the body in the body, he, uh, he, he uh, used an example, the example of a farmer who uh, went up to the cellar and he brought down a bag of seeds, and he opened one end of the bag and he allowed all the kind of seeds to flow on the floor. And with eyes, he's still in good condition, he recognized uh, each kind of seed. Here is the seat of uh, kidney beans. Is the seat of mung beans. Is the seat of uh, corn and so on. So the uh, the practice of uh, releasing the tension can be like that. In a sitting position or in a lying position, we begin to scan our body with the ray of mindfulness. You might begin with uh, uh, the top of our head. And even we, we go down, and we recognize every part of our body. Breathing in, I'm aware of my eyes. Breathing out, I smile to my eyes. For a few, even breathing out While breathing mindfully, you generate the energy of mindfulness that has uh, the power of uh, recognizing and embracing that part of your body. And you go down. You go down to your heart, breathing in. I am aware of my heart. Breathing out. I send my love. I smile to my heart using the energy of uh, mindfulness to recognize that part of the body, smile to it, allow it to relax. When you come to your shoulder, recognize your shoulder, smile to it, allow your shoulder to relax. You scan your body with uh, the ray of mindfulness, and when you come to the place that is ailing, stay longer. Embrace that place longer. Bring your love, your, your um, uh, concern, your smile, your mindfulness to that part. It will help with the healing. Don't believe only in the medicines allow your body uh, to heal yourself. And it take uh, maybe 15, 20 minutes for you to scan your body in the lying position. And if uh, we can do it uh, once a day, that would be good. If we... Uh, yeah already have uh, the element of stress, tension in our body, uh, the practice will help release. And if uh, we practice, we can prevent it to settle into our body, to our, into our consciousness. Of course, uh, that practice, will bring a relief. And if we know how to, uh, to go a little bit further, uh, cultivating concentration, and look deeply into the nature of our ill-being, we will find out uh, the roots of our ill-being. Now, your being is uh, maybe a chronic uh, anxiety, a long depression, um, a deep fear. So the practice of releasing the tension, releasing the tension can bring a relief. But the practice of looking deeply with concentration uh, can identify the source, uh, of uh, nutriment the roots of our ill B- being in the Buddhist tradition uh, they speak of uh, the four noble truths and the first one is the truth of uh, the noble truth of yo being and dukkha. And first, we have to call it by its true name. Whether that is uh, sickness, that is uh, fear, that is uh, anger, that is despair, that is um, depression. We have to call it by its true name. It's very important to recognize it and not to try running away from it. Recognize it, call it by its true name. And looking deeply into it in order to see the second normal truth. Namely, the nature of that ill being, the roots of that ill being. And the Buddha suggests that uh, we may look at the second normal truth in terms of uh, nutriment food. The Buddha said that uh, nothing can survive without food. Our love also, if we don't feed our love, it will die. It may be transformed into something else, like hate. So in order to keep our love alive, we should know how to feed our love. And if we have uh, Fear or anger, or depression. It is because we have been feeding them, we have been consuming in such a way that make them into something important. That is the second noble truth, the roots of your being in terms of uh, consumption, in terms of uh, nutriment. The Buddha said this, what has come to be, namely ill-being, what has come to be, if you know how to look deeply into its nature and identify the source of nutriment that you have used to nourish it, you are already on the path of healing, emancipation. So the second noble truth is very important to identify the source of nutriment that we have used to feed our suffering, our ill-being. If the depression is there, because in the past many months we have lived in such a way that makes the depression possible. So look deeply to see how did we consume. what kind of contact we had, what kind of environment uh, we live in. Because getting in touch with all these things means to get the nutriment that is nourishing our depression. It's very important to understand the Second Noble Truth in terms of uh, nutriment consumption, environment. And after having identified the second noble truth, the roots of ill-being in terms of nutriment, we can see the path of emancipation immersion. You only need to cut to the source uh, of uh, nutriment of your depression. You have to deprive your depression with uh, its uh, source of nutriment. And then your depression will have to die. Because uh, depression also needs food in order to survive. As the Buddha said, Nothing can survive without food, no matter that is your love or your despair. If you are mindful, if you practice mindfulness, we will be able to be there in the here and the now and observe. And when you observe with concentration, we will find out the source of nutriment that has brought that your being to us. If you have not seen the Second Noble Truth, and then the Fourth Noble Truth cannot be seen either. The path leading to the transformation and healing. So thanks to the First Noble Truth, you have an opportunity to find out the second noble truth. Do not run away from suffering. Hold it dearly in your arms, look deeply into it in order to see the second noble truth, the making of your being the source of nutriment that has brought your being to you. And After having realized the second noble truth, you begin to see the fourth noble truth, the path of emancipation and healing that will lead to the third truth, the cessation of ill-being. The cessation of ill-being means the beginning of well-being. We can say that the second noble truth is the path leading to healing. The path of uh, consumption. The Buddha spoke about four kinds of uh, nutriments. And because we do not consume mindfully, that is why we get that ill-being. The first source of nutriment is uh, edible food. The practice of mindful eating edible food will prevent us to bring in the toxins that will bring illness, ill-being into our body. The second source of nutriment is uh, sensorial impressions. And we take, in, we take this nutriment in not by the way of the mouth, but by the way of the eye, ear, nose, tongue, body, and mind. When we read a magazine, an article in a magazine, we consume. When we watch a film, Consume. When you drive through the city, uh, what we see as uh, publicity is what we consume. When you have a conversation, we consume. These items of consumption, consumption may contain toxins, like mm-hmm. violence, fear, despair, craving. And by consuming, we bring in these toxins into our body, into our consciousness. And that is the second source of nutriment. The Buddha speaks about sensorial impressions. And that is why practicing mindful consumption is to refrain from bringing these items that contain toxin in us. Despair is a toxin. Violence is toxin. Hate, anger are toxins. We already have a seat of anger, of fear, of despair in us. And if we continue to consume the items that contain the same toxins, and then the seed of fear, anger, despair in us will continue to grow. Sometimes we are intelligent enough to know that consuming these things is not good. Sometimes you know that the film we are watching is not good, it is not uh, interesting, it's not a good film, and yet we don't have the courage to turn it off. Because we know that if we turn it off, we will be facing the vacuum, the worries in us. We use the film in order to cover up the feeling of worry, of anxiety in us. So even we don't like very much that item of consumption, we consume anyway. We know that uh, open the refrigerator and take something to eat is not good for our health. We are more intelligent, we are intelligent enough in order to know that. And yet, we eat in order to forget the worry, the anxiety in us. And that is why uh, the practice of mindful consumption Is the object of the fifth uh, mindfulness uh, training prescribed by the Buddha. And if you live in a community where everyone practices uh, mindful consumption, and then it's very easy for you to practice mindful consumption also. Mm. And that is why taking refuge in the Sangha is very good is very um, helpful in the practice. If the whole family come to the sangha and make the aspiration to live according to the fifth uh, mindfulness training, and every member of the family agree on that, and then uh, we be strong enough in order to 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 practice mindful consumption. And uh, how about the feeling of uh, anxiety, of fear, of uh, emptiness that we have when we don't have anything to do? Many people consume because they want to cover up that uh, Uneasiness within them. Not because they need to consume. Yesterday we have uh, already uh, spoken of our consciousness as having at least two layers. And and, the layer below is called store consciousness and the layer above is called uh, Mental Mind Consciousness. When the seed of uh, anxiety, of fear, of confusion, come up on this level, we feel uneasy, we feel not happy. We don't like to feel uh, anxiety, fear, uncertainty, confusion. It makes us suffer. And that is why we want to occupy the mind consciousness with another object, like to worship him, to read a novel, to occupy the mind with another object. That is a way to repress the feeling of uh, Uneasiness that is always trying to come up to the surface. Star consciousness is like the basement of a whole house, and mind consciousness is like the living room. Anything you don't like in the living room, you dump it into <laughs> the cave. So you are bringing a film, an item of, uh, of consumption, here to occupy the living room in order to cover up the feeling of uh, emptiness, of uh, uh, anxiety that is there. And this is the reason why we... Um, we keep consuming and we are not aware of that. We do it as uh, something coming um, dictated by our mechanism of defense. We want to forget our suffering. We don't want to look face to face. our suffering. The Buddha uh, advised us to be, uh, to be brave enough in order to, to hold the suffering and to look into it. The practice recommended by the Buddha is that when a feeling of anxiety, of uh, fearfulness come up, you should not try to suppress it with uh, the method of uh, consumption. Don't bring anything uh, from outside into your mind consciousness in order to occupy the living room. Invite the energy of mindfulness to manifest. Practice mindful walking, practice mindful breathing, and invite the energy of mindfulness up here in order to take care of the, that, uh, that energy, that energy that um, that make you suffer, like fear, anxiety, sorrow, despair. For those of us who have practiced mindfulness for several months, several years, it's easy to bring up that kind of energy in order to recognize and embrace tenderly their feeling of fear of anger, of sorrow, of despair. And for those of us who are beginners in the practice, we should uh, um, apply our uh, efforts in the daily practice of uh, mindful breathing, mindful uh, walking, Mindful hooking mindful driving so that the seat of mindfulness here become more important, and every time we need it to provide us with the energy of mindfulness, it will it will do it very quickly. And when you have enough of this energy of mindfulness, you are no longer afraid of uh, of uh, of the energy of fear anger anymore. You know how to take care of it. You are mindfulness, you are concentration, you are insight, but you are also your fear, your sorrow, your despair, your anger. So the practice is not uh, mindfulness fighting against fear or anger, but mindfulness recognizing and embracing fear and anger. For those who don't practice, they don't have that energy of mindfulness to take care. That is why they have to practice consuming in order to prevent uh, these negative energies to come up. And for those of us who are used to the practice, every time the feeling of fear, anger, despair is embraced, has been embraced by the energy of mindfulness for some time. It will lose some of its its energy when it goes back to its uh, original position in store consciousness. So mindfulness, the energy of mindfulness is kind of bath. And your fear, your anger, your despair will take a bath of mindfulness. And after that, it become less, a little bit less important every time. And after having been able to recognize, embrace, and help, and get the relief, that energy of fear, anger, despair will go back to its original place down here, a little bit less important. and the energy of uh, the energy of mindfulness and concentration continue to grow it is like a mother holding her suffering baby no fighting at all you can visualize the buddha within you holding your pain your sorrow that is exactly what is uh, happening during the practice The Buddha is not fighting against the anger or fear or despair. She is holding the fear, that anger despair, like a mother holding her, her child, her baby. And the Buddha is in you. You know that you are capable of being mindful, of being uh, caring, and you know that with some practice, you'll be able to hold your pain, your sorrow, your fear. The people who don't know the practice, they only use consumption in order to occupy mind consciousness, the living room. And they set up a kind of uh, barrier here, and uh, preventing the symptoms, preventing the energy of uh, suffering to come up. But why consuming like that? They bring in the toxins that will fall down all the time into store consciousness and nourish, make. Uh, the ill illness, the seeds of fear, of anger, of despair, grow, grow up. Because this is consumption without mindfulness. When you consume without mindfulness, you bring, you keep bringing toxins in that nourish the ill being that is already there, and that is why. The first step is to stop consuming items that contain toxins. The second step is to practice mindfulness in order to be ready to recognize and hold uh, your pain, your sorrow. And that is the work of the Buddha in you. The Buddha is not a god. Uh, staying in the sky. The Buddha, the true Buddha, made of mindfulness, concentration, insight that will lead to compassion, understanding. A Buddha should be a human being. A Buddha is a Buddha, but a Buddha is at the same time a human being the basic condition to be a Buddha is to be a human being. Those of us who do not practice, who do not know how to hold and bring a relief to our suffering, we practice uh, repressing our fear, our anger down here. We cause We give uh, rise to a situation of bad circulation of our psyche. Because we suppress them. We don't allow them to come up and to go down again. And after some time, uh, with that uh, uh, bad, with that situation of bad circulation of our psyche, Symptoms of mental illness begin to appear. It's like our blood. If our blood doesn't circulate well, and then there will be painful spots a little bit everywhere on our body. So the practice is to allow to remove that barrier and to allow the pain to emerge. And if you are equipped with mindfulness, you are no longer afraid. Mindfulness will play the role of a big brother, a big sister, of a mother to recognize and embrace tenderly your pain, your sorrow. In the beginning, if the practitioner is still weak, uh, she may like to sit together with other practitioners and asking them to help her to hold her pain and sorrow. Dear sisters, dear brothers, please sit with me. Please help me hold my pain and sorrow. And you profit from the collective energy of mindfulness of the sangha to hold your pain and sorrow. And if you continue like that for a number of times, there will be a time when you can do it by yourself alone. Your mindfulness is strong enough. So if, if you remove uh, the embargo here, if you allow these blocks of pain to come, to embrace and to go down here, you will restore a situation of good circulation of your psyche. A, a number of months later, the symptoms of mental illness will begin to disappear. Especially when you know how to use uh, to use your mindfulness and concentration to look deeply into the nature of your ill-being. to realize, to uh, recognize the path leading to ill-being. And then the third and the fourth uh, noble truth will emerge with the path leading to the cessation of ill being. the path of uh, transformation and healing. And the path of leading to the cessation of ill-being is also the path leading to well-being. And the third ma, the third uh, Noble Truth is the cessation of ill-being or the existence of well-being. The cessation of ill-being means the beginning of well-being. It's the same. And this path is called a noble path, a noble path leading to well-being, leading to the cessation of ill-being. And the second is also a path, but not noble, the ignoble path (laughs) leading to confusion, to fear, to despair ill being so mindfulness always carries within herself the energy of concentration and if you live mindfully concentrated you'll be with what is happening in the present moment and you will see through in their own nature you see the nature the root of suffering of happiness and you get the insight and that is the insight that you leap to liberation freedom is a kind of uh, the, the meditation called uh, insight meditation a vipassana vipassana the kind of practice that that leads to insight. And insight has the power to liberate. If you have that insight, you feel so easy to to get out of that difficult situation. You see a person coming to you, uh, suffering a lot, not knowing how to get out. And if you look with insight, you can see the path, the way out, very easily you can help him, you can help her. And you can serve uh, living beings with your insight. With your insight you can liberate yourself and you can help liberate other people. All of us still remember the tsunami happening in Southeast Asia, where so many people died. And not only the local people, but people coming from Europe, America, for vacation, they died because of the tsunami. And all of us suffered all over the world. And we asked the question, why God allowed such a thing to happen? Why these people die and not other people die? Why babies little boys, little girls die and not us? Why a number of us will go there and die together with them? We ask a lot of questions. We don't know. Why? And all our suffering. I also suffer with you. But I practice. I sit down and I practice looking. And what I saw is that uh, when they die, we also die with them. Because we inter-are with them. You know that uh, as a lover, When the other person dies, you also die. Somehow you die with her or with him. That's so easy to understand. So if we have uh, understanding and compassion, when we see them dying, we die with them also. We suffer also. And we find out that uh, they die for us and we have to live for them. We have to live in such a way that their future should be possible for our children and their children. So it depends on our way of living, that their death will have a meaning or not. And that is the insight of interbeing. They are us. We are them. When they die, we also die. And when we continue to live, they continue to live with us. And with that insight, you don't suffer anymore, and you know how to continue. You carry all of them in you. And you have peace. So insight is very important. Insight liberates us, getting us out of the difficult situation. We have the seat of fear, fear of dying, fear of being abandoned, fear of getting sick. And we try to forget that. We try to be busy in order to forget that. The fact is that one day we have to die. We have to be sick. We have to let go of everything. So the Buddha urged the monks to practice recognizing the seat of fear every day. I am of the nature to die, I cannot escape dying. You face the truth. I am of the nature to grow old, I cannot escape old age. I am of the nature to get sick, I cannot escape sickness. Everyone I love today, everything I cherish today. I will have to let go on, on that day. So you, you bring the seed of fear up and you face them and you embrace them with your mindfulness. Uh, courage, you need courage. And by doing so, you reduce uh, the, the, the strength of that fear in, in terms of seeds. And when we are struck by a disease like um, cancer or AIDS, we revolt. We say, why me? Denial is the first reaction. We don't believe it to be the truth. We deny the truth, and we go through despair and revolt. But finally, we accept except to die. But it is possible to die peacefully with love if we have the insight of interbeing in us. You can die with anger, with revolt, with fear, but you can die peacefully if you, you know how to touch your true nature of no birth and no death a drop of rain falling on the ground. In no time at all, it disappears. You don't see it anymore. But it is still there somehow. Even it is absorbed in the, into the soil, it's still there in another form. Or it, it, it evaporates. It's still there in the air. It has become a gas. You don't see the drop of water. But that does not mean that it's no longer there, it's still there. A cloud can never die. A cloud can become rain, or snow, or ice. But a cloud cannot become nothing. To die means from something, you become nothing. From being, you pass into non-being. And that is our idea, only an idea. Death is only an idea. From someone from someone being someone, you suddenly become no one. That is our idea of death. But uh, meditation helps us to touch our true nature of no birth and no death. Before the cloud manifests as a cloud, the cloud has been water vapor, has been the ocean, So it has not come from non-being into being. So our our notion of birth is just a notion. Our notion of death is just a notion. And uh, French uh, scientist, Ralavoisier, he said that nothing is born, nothing dies. He has his way of looking deeply. And he discovered that there is no birth and no death. And he uses exactly the words in the Heart Sutra. So that insight is very important. It removes fear. And with non-fear, true happiness is possible. What about our civilization? If as human beings, you have to die one day, our civilization is also like that. Many civilizations have died already on the earth, and this one of ours, it may be dying. Global warming may be a symptom, early symptom of a death. This uh, civilization of ours is just one civilization. And of course, there will be a day when it has to die in order to make place for another civilization to come up. And if we don't know how to consume, how to stop, and then the death of our civilization will come. And maybe 70% of mankind will die. And maybe 30% will survive. We die for them, and they will survive for us in order to arrange for the next civilization to come up. And if you see things like that, you are not a victim of despair. You can accept the death of your civilization. You can accept that your own death, which is uh, only on the surface, deep down there, Your true nature is the nature of no birth and no death. When a wave is rising, there's a lot of joy. And when the wave is falling, there may be some anxiety. That may be the end of the wave. Because rising always brings about falling. Birth will rise to die. But if the wave practices some meditation and realize that she is water, and then going down, she can go with joy, no fear. She can die as a wave, but she is always alive as water. So the teaching of the Buddha help us to touch our true nature and get the insight that will dissipate all kind of fear and it is possible to die smiling without fear without anger and when you, you have accepted that you have peace and if you have peace in you the situation might be different when we have peace, it's much easier for us to handle our situation. If all of us panic, and then we accelerate the death of our civilization. But if you accept, if you are peaceful, and then we have a chance, And each of us will know how to do, what to do in order to contribute to the saving of our planet. Technology, we have enough technology in order to save our planet. But if we are possessed by fear, anger, separation, violence, we cannot make use of the technology that is available. We have no time. We have no collaboration among us. So even if we have enough technology, we cannot save our planet. But if you practice, if you have your spiritual life, if you can bring calm, acceptance, loving kindness, non-fear in you, you will help bringing the dimension of non-fear, of brotherhood, sisterhood in, and then you have much more sense. And then you have uh, the opportunity to use the technology that is available, in order to save our planet. So the scientist has to work hand in hand with the spiritual. Technology has to to be supported by by, by brotherhood, sisterhood, understanding, compassion. And our spiritual life is a uh, Is the element that can bring about these elements, uh, that can bring about these uh, energies, the energy of peace, the energy of uh, calm, the energy of brotherhood, understanding and compassion. Without that, I don't think that we have uh, a chance. Our planet will have a chance. So please, uh, in your city, in your walking, in your reflection. Look deeply in order to have that insight. Not as uh, a verbal um, expression, but a real insight. That insight will bring to you peace, acceptance, non-fear. And with that, you can make your contribution into saving our planet.